Hello and welcome to the Bloody Bizarre Podcast, episode 12. Is it 12? Yes. Okay. Episode 12. How was that intro? I mean, very clunky. <laughs> um, it's been a little while since we recorded. Yeah, it's been a couple of weeks and in some big news, we now have 50 followers. Also, I was thinking um, when we say to people like, Oh, if you enjoy the podcast, like like us on social media and stuff, what we should be saying is subscribe to the podcast. Yes. Yeah. Please do that. <laughs> Rate, review, subscribe. Yeah. That's apparently what, that's... Um, on like Apple and yeah. stuff. That makes a big difference. Yeah. I don't know about Spotify. Full disclosure, I rated our podcast. Yes, yeah, so did I. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's the first one I've done. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, so please rate, review, and subscribe. If you're going to review it and it's going to be a bad review, maybe email it to us instead so other people can't see it. I doubt someone that's like, that feels so strongly that they don't like us that they want to leave a re- bad review is going to heed your advice. Well, please do, because I don't want other people to. I hope the people can't hear Clifford's disgusting mouth noises. You'll Clifford. Be able to. When I was editing the last one, you could hear him licking himself for a bit and then you yelled at him. Um, And I think we're at the point where we can start asking people to tell their friends to listen. All right. If you like it. Tell your loved ones. Yeah. Sit your family down for an important dinner. But if you have parents that don't like swearing and stuff like that. Don't tell them to listen. I guess it would like it would at least get one listen out of it. But then they might be the types that would then leave a bad review without emailing us. Exactly. Like, our right. parents can never listen to it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Because mum would go nuts. Yeah. Mm. I've raised you better than that. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't think the swearing is needed. It's not necessary. <laughs> can you not think of any other words to use? <laughs> um, Dad might like it. Dad might, yeah. He'd Although get, he, doesn't, get, he doesn't really like the, that kind of content. No, nah, he'd get bored. Yeah. Yeah, it's good, girls. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah yeah so please if you like it and you've got friends that you know are also into true crimey stuff or paranormal stuff or like any of that kind of darker kind of stuff tell them to listen yeah we've got like 50 followers now most of them are other podcasts so i am a little bit scared that all of a sudden one day they'll all stop following and then we'll be back down to like 12 followers but well we have a few listeners followers so sarah's talking about the instagram page rather than actual <laughs> listeners because yeah, that's that's what i do i cover yeah. if anyone's wondering i cover the the gram so i look at the analytics of who's listening um and we do have quite a few followers listening How many? like subscribed like over 20 oh really yeah that's cool yep and quite a few from america we have some from europe nice do you want me to tell you where everyone's listening? Yeah. All right, hang on. Many Australians? Uh, yep. Janae hasn't left us yet. Oh, she hasn't? No. Maybe she's not listening anymore. Maybe yeah. she, she just followed and then, like, forgot. Yeah. That's likely. Janae, if you're listening, we'll send you some merch because <clears throat> you were one of the first people to start listening. And also, we made things weird. And we're sorry. We're sorry. <laughs> <laughs> And we continue to make things weird. Yeah, you? just every episode, a recurring thing. Uh, so we have listeners in, and this is by by volume of listen. So Perth is obviously the most listened city. Yeah. Then Brisbane. Okay. Then Oregon. Uh, Brussels. Yeah. Somewhere in the United States that is not applicable. It just says NA. Then we've got Freudenstadt in Germany. Right. Then Ashburn in the USA. Okay. Then um, Sydney. Then an NA in Germany. We've got Boston on there. We've got somewhere in the UK, Germany again, uh, Norfolk in the USA, and somewhere else in Australia. And then it just goes on and on. Cool. That's exciting. San Francisco. Chicago. <gasps> Let's make it a competition. Tell your friends, if you're in one of these places, tell your friends to listen and we'll see what can be the top of the list. By places listened, I think we've got most listeners in the USA at the moment. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. More than... More than Australia, yeah. Yeah. Fuck Australia. <laughs> <laughs> Coming out strong. <laughs> We're Americans now. I've got a controversial opinion to share. Fuck Australia. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, anyway. I think that's all we needed to share as an update. Is 
Okay. Uh, what are you covering? Your, it's your story today. Yes. It's me today. And as we said, I'm going to be really happy once I'm finished with this one because it's been a lot to research it. What are you doing? I'm doing Jeffrey Dahmer. Jeffrey Dahmer. So you're capitalizing on the uh, the momentum that's occurring that, at the moment. That's exactly why I've chosen to do it. So this actually ties in very well with what I talked about at the end of the last the end of the last episode. I don't know if you remember, but we were talking about this kind of controversy that sort of popped up around true crime that sometimes does pop up where people are saying that it's exploitative, um, and that has very much popped up after this Jeffrey Dahmer series because apparently the family wasn't notified. So, yeah, I have been reflecting on it and I have some thoughts and I'll share them at the end. Okay. So, yeah, I'm doing something a bit different this week. Full disclosure, I did watch the series. Yeah. And I thought it was really well done. I thought it was, like, victim-focused and I was like, yeah, this is really good. They portrayed it as more of a tragedy than anything else, like just a sad story all up. However, I watched it before all of this stuff came out about the families not knowing um, and not being consulted. If I'd known that then... I might not have watched it. Yeah. I might have had some second thoughts about watching it, but I did. So, you know, that's where we are. I haven't seen it. Too bad. Look, I did think it was really good, but I don't know. Is it, Do people what... are saying that they've made Jeffrey Dahmer too hot. Well, it's I, I think it's just the actor is... I don't think he's hot. Neither do I. I don't think Dahmer or that actor is hot. Same. But Jeffrey Dahmer also wasn't ugly. Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Ugly as a person, like, sure, but physically he yeah. wasn't a bad. He looked dude. normal. Yeah, yeah. So I don't, I don't know the thing about making him hot or not. Well, he wasn't bad looking, and yeah. that's part of the reason he was able to. It's like uh, Zac Efron as Ted Bundy. Yeah, but again, like Ted Bundy wasn't terrible looking. He did have a monobrow. I don't think he was hot. I don't think yeah. either of them are hot. Yeah. But they, they definitely weren't. Like, if your friend started dating that guy, you wouldn't be like, oh, he's so fucking ugly. Like, you'd just be like, yeah, yeah he's all right. Yeah, like, kind of plain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's just a solid six or seven. Yeah, like, I <laughs> guess, yeah. If he, if he got rid of that, that monobrow. He'd wax eat, his eyebrow while yeah. he's asleep. Yeah. And then he'll be way hotter. Yes, yeah, so I when I decided that I was going to do Dharma, initially... I was just going to talk about this like any other true crime case. But the more I thought about it, I realized two things. And that's, first of all, anyone who's into true crime already knows the Jeffrey Dahmer story. And it's been covered by everyone. It's been been done to death. Yeah, like almost every true crime podcast has done Dahmer. Yeah. So I didn't know how interesting it would be for me to go over the same details again. The second thing was that I think this is a unique case because of who Dharma chose as his victims and how long he was able to get away with what he was doing. And also, Dharma is interesting in himself. He's not a typical serial killer in some ways. Yeah. Um, so I am going to talk about Dharma and his crime. So I will sort of go through it like normal. Yeah. But I'm going to focus a little bit more on his victims and the wider context of how this all unfolded. And as I say, it's interesting to me that it sparked this conversation about whether true crime content is exploitative. So as promised, I've been reflecting on that and I will have a bit of a chat with you towards the end. Are you going to ask for my opinion? Yes. Oh, I'm feeling really slow today. So am I. You know that I woke up from a nap not long ago and I've had a gin and tonic as a wake me up. Should we perhaps have another one? (laughs) Like, just double down? Yeah. yeah. okay, let's have another one, but I'm going to have, like, an espresso martini or something like that. Okay, let's do that. So, yeah, I'll try to keep to the Dharma narrative and not ramble too much, but this episode might be a bit different to regular programming, if that makes sense. Great. And the vibe is quite serious, I'm afraid. <sighs> because it's a very sad story and... Gotta do it. Gotta treat it with respect. Briefly. Dharma's childhood was tumultuous. He was born in Milwaukee in 1960 to Joyce and Lionel Dharma. According to a lot of sources, his mum wasn't very nice, argumentative, (laughs) attention-seeking, and a hypochondriac. Other sources, however, say that she was just mentally ill. Um, She did actually attempt to overdose once, so I think it was probably a bit of both. I think she probably wasn't the nicest person, and 
some possibly of her. due to an undiagnosed mental illness. Mm, possibly. If she tried to kill herself. But you can also be a shit person. Yeah. Just listen to how she treats all right, Jeffrey. All right, all right, all right. I'm jumping the gun. Yeah. As I want to do. Yeah. Dharma himself, himself in interviews has talked about there being a lot of tension in his house growing up. An interesting facet of this story is that his parents talk about him being a fairly normal kid until he was four. And then he had to have surgery for a double hernia, which is a super weird thing for a four-year-old to have to have surgery for. A double hernia. Yeah. You remember dad had a hernia? Yeah, it's like an old man thing. It's an old man thing. Yeah. Yeah. So he had a double hernia when he was four. Don't ask me how that happened. But anyway. Didn't didn't Beck have a hernia though as well? No, that's an umbilical hernia. That's a thing that babies get. That's where the umbilical cord pops out. But he didn't have an umbilical hernia. Okay. He had like a regular hernia. He had an old man hernia at four. Yeah. Okay. Um, But apparently once he came out of surgery, he was subdued and weird and never went back to normal, Hmm. which is a very scary thing because like as a mum, I'm like, what if your kid like was normal and then they went to surgery and they came out fucking weird? From when I went into surgery and I was weird before I went in because I was hell depressed. You're weird in the hospital, which yeah. I didn't understand until I had until Abby you went and I was hospital. in hospital for six days and I went really weird as well. <laughs> yeah. Something about hospital, man. It's like, it's just fucking depressing. It just zaps you. Like, uh, yeah. you're just in this weird, different world. Ugh. I could never be a nurse. Um, but yeah, his dad has talked about this before. The fact that he was like a normal kid and then when he came out of surgery, he was like quiet and stuff and he thought that, oh yeah, he's just like recovering, but he never went back to normal. So just speculation. But what, imagine if they, like, something happened and he, like, lost oxygen for a little while or something yeah. like that. And they just... Didn't tell anyone. Didn't tell yeah. anyone. Yeah. It's yeah. just an interesting... It's, like, not of, of no consequence. I just think that it's an interesting facet of this. Because yeah. with a lot of serial killers, they talk about them having some sort of head trauma when they're a yeah. kid. Dharma never had that, but he did have this. I also wonder... I mean, like, a child does change as they grow. Yeah, but this was the it was the fact that he was normal before the surgery. It was like within a, like a, a day or two yeah. that his personality changed, mm-hmm. right? All right. Anyway, as I'm sure many people are aware, as I'm sure you're aware, he developed an interest in bones and stuff like that, like innards and things through his childhood. And his dad was a scientist and he fostered this in his own way. He sort of would, you know, help him to have a look at bones. Like dissect and stuff. Like, I don't think I would do anything differently if Abby yeah. had an interest in bones and things like that. Because here's the thing, they, they never killed animals. It yeah. was, if they found roadkill, they would yeah. take it back. And his dad sort of showed him how to bleach bones. And his dad was a scientist, so he knew yeah. how to preserve things and stuff like and that. And it wouldn't be abnormal for the father. He'd be like, this is what I do. My son's taking an interest Ex- in that's it. That's exactly what he thought. He yeah. thought, oh, he's showing a scientific ability. Yep. And this is great. The mum didn't like it, apparently. She said it was weird. Uh-huh. But the mum and the dad hated each other. So, um, cool. Dad was like, he's curious, he's got a scientific mind, I'm going to do this with him. Unfortunately, he did use a lot of the stuff that he learned at this time as he got older. But, yeah, I think the dad, I don't think the dad is has any kind of, I don't think it's his fault at all. No, I don't. <laughs> yeah. What? Why are you laughing? <laughs> I don't think anyone would, would blame the dad. For... The mum did. <laughs> Her mum was straight up, like, pissed off at the dad. Yeah. 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 Well, I guess if you're, like, a parent, you're looking for any reason why he's done this. Yeah. Yeah. And Dharma, I think because it was the exact methods that his dad had taught him that he later used, it was like, well, how did he know how to do that? Yeah. But, yeah, of course, the dad did not know that his son was going to become one of the worst serial killers in history. Yeah. (laughs) So, anyway, as a teenager, he started drinking really heavily um, and it was also during his teen years that his parents divorced and... Pretty standard. Yeah. All right. Dharma realized he was gay when he was 13, but he didn't tell anyone at the time. And also of note is that it wasn't long before this that he started drinking heavily. It wasn't long before he realized he was gay? Yeah. It was around the time that he realized he was gay that he started drinking. Okay. Um, and drinking heavily. Yeah. He was going to high school with like scotch and stuff. Okay. Not just like regular teenage. No, not drinking. just regular like drinking Party at parties. Drinking, yep. No, he was like in the morning. Thirteen's quite early too. Yeah, he was 
drinking every day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is speculation that this was a way of dealing with his sexuality as his family were not all that progressive. What year was this? This was the mid-70s. Yeah, okay. And apparently the sentiment towards LGBT people at the time was quite different to today, obviously. Oh, yeah. In many Western countries, homosexuality was only made legal in the late 60s. So Dharma and many others grew up in a time when their sexual orientation, something they literally couldn't control, was illegal. So that's what he would have grown up with, is that it's illegal to be that way. And then all of a sudden, they remove that illegal status. But obviously, that doesn't change the way that you've seen that or the way that other people see that yeah and Um, as i say his family was not super religious like not crazy what what religion were they like christian protestant but like his grandma went to church every sunday i don't know if their family did but they were christian enough leaning yeah that him coming out as gay at that time would not not have been accepted particularly Um, well wasn't it wouldn't homosexuality still have been in the dsm at this point as well actually you touch on that yeah so in 1969 the stonewall riots occurred yeah and this was one of the most important moments in the history of lgbt people in america and it was pretty much this that sort of paved the way for a lot of the change that happened in the 70s 80s and 90s so suddenly all these people who had been forced to stay in the closet that were isolated they thought that they were just like oh i'm like some deviation suddenly they were starting to realize oh no there's i'm part of this huge community there's mm-hmm. a heap of people that are like this mm-hmm. um so in 1973 homosexuality was removed from the american psychiatric association's list of psychiatric disorders okay. i don't know if it was removed from the dsm at that time i don't know if those two things go hand in hand but it was removed as like a the American it would have, it would have been like in the if not already it would have been in the following edition or something yeah. like that yeah and obviously that marked a huge change in how it was perceived in the wider community that being said just because things were becoming more progressive doesn't mean that suddenly the wider community was just totally cool with lgbt people the increased visibility of lgbt people including them being acknowledged in tv and movies meant that homophobic assholes were also more outspoken yeah the reason I'm talking about this is because this was all happening through Dharma's late teens and early 20s, which I would argue is quite a formative time for somebody's sexual development and your development of your identity just in general. Of course, I'm not saying this is why he became the monster that he did, because there are so many people who had to deal with this coming out at this time. Mm-hmm. But I think it's important to discuss the impact this might have had on him. In an interview when he was asked if he was gay, he said yes. He never denied it, but quickly followed with, it caused a lot of problems. He didn't like being gay. He he just was. Yeah. I, I also just think it's interesting because Dharma's crimes were so interconnected with sex and attachment. Um, Quite symbolic. Yeah. I was also thinking the other day about how a lot of heterosexual killers had either overbearing mothers or grew up in really religious households that made them feel ashamed for having normal sexual urges. Like if they would have a wank, they'd get like yelled at and told they were disgusting and stuff. And I feel like there's this interesting link between being shamed for having an interest in sex when you first hit puberty and developing these violent paraphilias. There's like this thing about shame. Yeah, yeah. And being like, overly shamed for normal sexual things and then and so then your outlet has to go underground because you feel like yeah you you can't express it because you'll be shamed as you were when you were a kid and then if you're already thinking like oh i'm this like deviant da, 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 then maybe you just get into some darker stuff and maybe you're, you're so used to feeling like a deviant and that you're wrong and disgusting that it's like you get into this stuff that actually is wrong and disgusting and then it's like well that I've always been like that. Yeah, I think also there is something to be... I think the conscious decision to pursue a deviant personality because you've been labelled as a deviant is, I don't think, necessarily what is happening... I don't think it's conscious. I think it's an unconscious thing that happens. I think what is more likely is that um, the person is pursuing their deviant desires. Mm. Sound like a preacher. (laughs) Their deviant deviant desires. desires. And um, and then they reach the point of no more stimulation and they've got to heighten it and heighten it and heighten it until it reaches the point where they're murdering 
mm. women or men in but this you, case. It is interesting, hey, that it seems like... It's interesting, but I think you would be hard-pressed to find any murderer, any sexual sadist or anything like that. I think it's like 80% or something of of serial killers were either emotionally abused or, or sexually abused. Yeah. So something like that. I can't look. I'd probably take that out because it's not going to be accurate. But I think you'd be hard pressed to find someone like everyone can, can complain about their life and their upbringing in some way. You could say you, you just said they either have an overbearing mother or they're they're shamed for something sexual. Mm. But then you could also go, or they had an absent father, or their their grandma died when they were twelve. You know, like you can always add in these extra things to kind of to force a correlation. Do you know what True. I mean? Yeah. It'd be interesting to see all of that data. Like if you yeah. collated it for every serial killer. Well, they've. I'm sure they've done it. It's probably somewhere. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Mm. But I just don't know if it's important because you can, if some, if a kid is displaying like these kinds of paraphilias really early on, you need to intervene really early to affect any change. Yes. But you're not going to intervene if the kid feels shamed so they never talk about it and they just make it their little secret. Right. But then not all of those children then go on to, to be criminals either. Yeah. They may suppress I those... guess it's one of those things where it's a whole tapestry of things. Yeah. And maybe this is just one part of that tapestry is that they were made to feel shame about sex. Yeah. Look, I mean, age. obviously it's not going to be helpful. Yeah. I digress. Dharma's first murder took place when he was still a teenager. He was only, I didn't know that. Yeah, he was 18. It was three weeks after he'd graduated from high school. Right. Um, Do you know how he did in high school? Average. Yeah. Or actually, not great, but they said that he was quite smart. So I think he kind of... He did end up getting into uni. Okay. Um, he didn't apply himself in, in high school. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. I guess if you come into school drunk every day, it's difficult to focus. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, so I don't know how well you know the the story of Dharma, but this is the guy who was hitchhiking to a concert. Okay. This was his first victim. Okay. So Jeffrey picked him up and invited him over to have drinks with him before the concert. This was while his parents' divorce was going down. So his mum just literally so his mum kicked the dad out the dad went and stayed at a motel and then his mum was like i'm over this took the little brother and left every time the cars are so loud oh yeah and you can pick it up on the air yeah Yeah, took his little brother and left so jeffrey was just in the house by himself he was 18 but still she didn't tell the dad yeah she just took off with the little brother how old was the little brother um, I'm not sure. I feel like he was maybe four or five years younger than okay. Jeffrey. Three, four. What a dream for an 18-year-old, though. For us, yes. But Jeffrey definitely had some attachment issues going yeah, on. Okay. Um, he said in subsequent interviews that he was sad and confused when this happened. He was, like, abandoned. He felt abandoned, yeah. yeah. Okay. So I've written here, obviously not great for someone with clear attachment issues. So... Basically, when this Stephen guy started saying he wanted to leave and like, let's we got to go. I'm going to miss this concert. There's yeah. you know people waiting for me. Jeffrey freaked out and bashed him in the back of the head with a dumbbell. And he said that this was to stop him from leaving. Right. He said that his intention wasn't to kill him in that moment. It yeah. was just he didn't want him to leave. To Dharma, it seemed like killing him was the only way to stop him from leaving. It's a fucked up kind of logic. Yeah, of course. He's yeah. not going to leave, but he's also not going to be there anymore because yeah. he's going to be dead. So Dharma then had sex with Stephen's body, which Dharma said fulfilled a fantasy he'd held since he was 15 or 16. He was very thorough in disposing of Stephen's body. He ended up, I mean, I, as I say, I don't want to get into every little detail because this case is so well done already, but he buried Stephen and then later on he was worried about it being found so he dug him back up again and he ended up doing all of this stuff literally pulverized his bones into powder and wow like really really thorough so steven's body could never have been recovered or anything like that but after this he didn't kill again for nine years wow yeah so they're sure about that yeah yeah it's the other thing about jeffrey dharma is that he's very open about what he's done 
there is no kind of defense well a lot of killers are though sometimes they're really proud about what they've done what do what was he doing in those nine years i'll tell you about it okay it it really seems like i do think that he didn't intend to kill Stephen when he picked him up but the fact that he had that fantasy before this he'd also had a fantasy about when he was 15 or 16 like he says there was this jogger that used to run by his house and he had this fantasy about knocking him unconscious and raping him and one day he actually went out into the bushes with a baseball bat and waited for this guy because he knew that he ran past at the same time each day and it just so happened that this guy didn't run past on that day yeah but it's possible that he would have done something when he was 15 or 16 if that guy had have run past so he hit him with the dumbbell and knocked him out did did the hit did the knock did the blow kill him then strangled him with the dumbbell i think yeah so him saying that he didn't intend on killing him i think is a whole load of shit yeah because he'd already knocked him out so he could have he could have raped yeah and then let him live yeah but then i get again i guess he's his thought process his messed up thought process is if i do that he's gonna leave eventually this was his way of keeping him. I think so often these killers try and get people to um, like sympathize yeah. with them. It pisses me off so much. Yeah. Well, he definitely does. Yeah. And there are people who do. Oh, yeah. Um, Stephen Hicks' dad described him as a deeply caring person. He shared an anecdote about taking Stephen hunting because um, they were like into that sort of stuff. And he said that um, the first time he shot a rabbit, he bawled his eyes out. Oh. He was only 18 when he died. When he was killed, I should say. Yeah, when he was murdered. As most people know, you obviously didn't. I feel like you don't know the Dharma story that well. It's been a while since I listened to a episode about it. Right. Well, that's good, I guess, because yeah, this is new. Yeah. So as most people know, Dharma went to college after high school, but he dropped out due to his alcoholism. And following this, his dad insisted he join the army. His dad was just trying to get him to get his shit together. He was like, I'm sick of this. You're drinking all the time. You flunked out of college. You got, you're joining the army. And Dharma, it seems, was kind of like he just did what he was told. So while in the army, he didn't murder anyone, but it's reported that he drugged and raped a fellow officer. Mm-hmm. And this possibly happened more than once. He was discharged in 82, not for sexually assaulting anyone, uh. but for being drunk all the time. I don't know if that officer actually told Reported anyone it, yeah. at the time, yeah, yeah, but they have since talked about it. After he was discharged from the army, he was embarrassed. And so <laughs> he went to Florida and I guess he was thinking he'd like start a fresh start in Florida. Yeah. Um, but after a while, he, he kept getting fired and stuff because he was always drinking. And so he ended up, like, for a little while, he was sleeping on the beach and stuff. Right. So he did end up going back to Milwaukee. But his his dad was like, you're going to move in with your grandma. Because apparently he really loved his grandma. And his grandma was, like, the churchy one. Okay. So he was like, this will be good. You can help your grandma out and, like, do the jobs around the house and make sure the lawn's mowed and all that sort of stuff. And she's going to keep you in line. And because, he, I guess, his dad's thought process was because he loves his grandma Maybe he'll be respectful and he won't be sitting there just getting smashed. Right. By the mid-80s, so he yeah he moved in with his grandma. By the mid-80s, he started frequenting bathhouses. Do you know what bathhouses are? I could guess. Is it a, a big stone plaza and there's a bath, like a big swimming hole in the middle? No, I think you're thinking of something a bit nicer, but it is kind of like that. When he went to these bathhouses... He would drug and rape young men he'd met out. So bathhouses, I'll give you a bit of an explanation because I hadn't really heard of them before. Like outside of this case, I hadn't really heard people talking about bathhouses. According to Wikipedia, it's a commercial space for gay, bisexual and other men to have sex with men. Okay. But they did have like saunas and pools and things like that in them. Hmm. But it wasn't some, like, grand structure or anything like that. Yeah, I'm thinking of the one in Bath. You're thinking of, like, European... A Roman bath. Yeah, which lots of people go to that are, like, actual, like, you clean yourself and stuff. Yeah, this this is... is more of a, like... Sex house. Hookup place. Okay. They should call it a sex house, not a bath house. Sex house, yeah. Yeah. I think they were trying to be subtle. It was the... Then it should be called a massage parlor. A massage parlor that's open on Saturday night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got a neon sign saying open. So in the Dharma Tapes documentary... Oh, I didn't go through my sources. Do it at the end. Okay. 
In the Dharma Tapes documentary, they interviewed a gay man who was quite active in this scene in the 80s. And it sounds like a place they could go, get naked and mess around without worrying about judgment or persecution from people in the wider community. So what they would... Every time you say wider community, it sounds like you're saying whiter community. Wider. Yeah. It's just my Australian... Fucking Australia. Wider. Wider community. (laughs) Those wides. Wider community. Yeah. Yeah. Wider. Wider. So it sounds like what they would kind of do is they would go out to the gay clubs and then if they met a guy that they liked, they would often go back to the bathhouses together instead of, you know, they might not be able to go back to one of their houses because maybe they lived with other people. Uh It was just a place that they could go and hook up with. Yeah, like somewhere that they felt free. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Yep. Historically, bathhouses were a way for homosexual men to meet and have sex with other men without worrying about being arrested. Because obviously sure. it, for, it was for a long time illegal. An overlooked part of this case is the number of victims of Jeffrey Dahmer that are out there alive who were sexually assaulted by him because he got away with doing this a ridiculous amount of times. He was arrested for indecent exposure during this time but only got probation and was never arrested for the rapes. I don't know if they actually even know how many men he raped. Um, yeah, I, I, I bet not. And I bet he would never... You say he's been open about his crimes and all that kind of shit, but I doubt he would be like, oh, actually, you forgot about these 80 men that I also raped. Yeah. Um, um, he said that his sexual fantasy was basically like a zombie that he could have sex. A set zombie, yeah. I've heard that quote before, yeah. Yeah. He wanted someone who was warm and alive but not conscious and unfortunately he would later try to make this a reality has he ever heard of a fucking flashlight <laughs> I, I don't know i'm guessing you can get warm ones in 1987 dharma killed his second victim stephen tuomi he said that this one was an accident as well and apparently has no memory of the murder occurring again i call bullshit on that he reckons that he just supposedly woke up to stephen beaten to death after they went to a hotel together for the night Um, Stephen was described by his family as a very talented artist. Apparently, so remember, this is his first victim in nine years. Yeah. He reckons that after this, he was like, I can't control this anymore. I'm just going to stop trying. So he goes, so he kills, he kills the first Stephen. Yeah. Waits nine years, kills again. And at that point is after the second murder is like, I can't control this anymore. Well, what he said was basically that he was blacked out when he killed Stephen Toomey. Yeah, sure. And so he thought that, well, even if I'm trying my hardest to not do these things, as soon as I am like blacked out or whatever, it's going to come out anyway. All right. I mean, a sane person would go, okay, well, maybe I just never fucking drink again if the result (laughs) is me killing somebody. Yeah. But, you know, instead he was like, I'm going to lean into this. Quite a significant alcohol side effect yeah yeah some people wake up with a hangover jeffrey woke up with a fucking dead body yeah in 1988 so the the next year he killed two more people and this is when he was still living at his grandma's i can't even say men because one of them was a child james doc stater was 14 years old when he ran away from home and unfortunately ran into jeffrey dharma this boy was really tall for his age. He was six foot, but Whoa. looking at his photo, he's very obviously a child. Yeah. He looks like a little boy. Yeah. It's really sad. Um, and he, yeah, he was, he said to have liked normal teenage boy stuff, like riding his bike and playing pool, but he was having problems at home, didn't like his stepdad. So, you know, normal sort of teenage stuff, which would have been overcome if he hadn't run into Jeffrey. The other guy that he killed that year was a guy called Richard Guerrero. Guerrero after offering him money to spend the night with him and take some photos. Richard's family, so sad. Richard's family literally gave everything to try and find him. When the police wouldn't take his disappearance seriously, which happened a couple of times, they hired a private investigator who ended up defrauding them of their life savings. This brings me to another upsetting part of this case, and that's why weren't the disappearances taken seriously? Because I have to believe that if I went missing, it would make the news. Um, well, at least I know it would definitely be taken seriously by the police. Yeah. These disappearances. Even if it was the 70s that you had gone missing in. Yes. Yeah. And what this guy that they interviewed, the gay guy, was saying that every time they would rock up to the gay bar, they would be like, oh, such and such is gone. Like it would be somebody. Yeah, like it a was common noticeable. occurrence. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And they did say that at the time they, as a community, kind of thought that like it was because people were moving to different parts or you know because it 
a lot of people weren't out. Yeah. Um, it wasn't like they were putting it down to that. I think also homelessness is higher among that community. But he also said not once did a cop come in and ask questions of anybody in the community. Yeah. Yeah. Any of the disappearances. It's like, um, it might've been another case that involved sex workers and the, um, the cops had written in the column of their notes, NHI, which meant no human involved. Yeah. What? Yeah. How? How did they just... Because they just thought so little and they knew it wasn't going to be it wasn't going to be cared about by the community whoa yeah when did this happen oh this was like it would have been around the same time like the 60s or the 70s i think right. can't remember this which is case it, this is the late 80s okay i can't remember which case it was but i'm sure i'll hear it again when i re-listen to the podcast but in my head i've got the um the yorkshire ripper mm-hmm. you know how the um like they he killed mostly sex workers yeah. i think it might have been that case right. and that yeah they'd written no human involved about the victims because they were sex hell. workers yeah so similar, I guess. Thought process. Yeah, yeah, I would assume. In 1989, Dharma was jailed for assaulting a 13-year-old boy named Somsak Synthasomophone. Synthasomophone, sorry. I don't have the greatest pronunciations. You reckon? The judge was ridiculously lenient, though, and was allowing him out of jail to attend work so he wouldn't lose his job. Oh, he didn't lose kind. his job, but he did kill another person. Of course. So, great job, Judge William Gardner. Blood on his hands. It's not like sexual assault of a child is a serious crime or anything. No, no, no. Keeping in mind, 13, this 13-year-old boy, Somsak, him and his family were from Laos. Yeah. And they were... So, his parents didn't speak English particularly sure, well. Yeah. So, they were a minority. Just compounding the lackadaisical approach, I would, yeah. I would guess, from the police and those... Oh, mm-hmm. the... So, if he had had have been given at least a full year totally yeah. behind bars he would have never met 26 year old anthony sears who was dharma's next victim anthony was an aspiring model he'd just gotten a promotion at work that he was really excited for and he was meant to be celebrating at lunch with his family not long before jeffrey killed him he was also planning on proposing to his girlfriend once he'd gotten this promotion and had saved up a bit more money so he really had a bright future ahead of him and his death was completely avoidable if he had just been in fucking jail for sexually assaulting a 13 year old fucking judges man magistrates i tell you what i feel sorry for cops a lot of the time because i know they put in so much work to get these people before the judge and then the judge is like oh we don't want to ruin your life brock turner yeah exactly yeah it's a very good example of it in 1990 Jeffrey's murders started getting more frequent. This is also when he moved out of his grandma's house and into his own apartment. And I think also because he was realising how easily he was getting away with this stuff. Yeah. His next victim was Raymond Smith. He was also known as Ricky Beeks. Ricky was a sex worker who had recently been released from prison and he was doing his best to get his life back on track. He lived with his sister. And he what had, was he in prison for? I'm not sure. Probably something like possession or something like that. Yeah, probably. Or probably like like um, prostitution, right? Yeah. Probably some like bullshit charge like that. So he's behind bars. Yeah, exactly. But, I bet the judge didn't let him out. Yeah, I bet not because he's black. He was black, wasn't he? Yeah. Majority of the victims were black and Latino, right? Yes, they yeah. were. He had a 10-year-old daughter. So that means there's a 42-year-old woman out there somewhere who lost her dad because yeah. of fucking Jeffrey Dahmer. Yeah. A month later, he killed Eddie Smith, no relation to Raymond Smith. Eddie was described as loving, respectful and trusting, which unfortunately would have been great for Jeffrey. Eddie is the one whose sister got a call from, I don't know if you know about this, his sister got a call from Jeffrey after he went missing saying, don't bother looking for your brother, he's dead. Eddie was apparently trying to break into the modelling business when he was killed. And actually, that's something that's a theme. A few of these guys were trying to become models. And mm. what Jeffrey used to do is be like, come back to my apartment. I'm a photographer. I'll take some photos of, of you. Course. I'll yeah. give you 50 bucks and you get some photos for your portfolio. In September of the same year, Jeffrey killed Ernest Miller. Ernest had just been accepted to an arts college in Chicago and was planning on becoming a professional dancer. Ernest didn't even live in Milwaukee. He was just there visiting family and was unlucky enough to cross paths with Dharma. Interestingly, after the family reported Ernest missing, his grandma also recalled getting a weird phone call. Somebody was just faintly going, help, help, help on the other end of the line, which is really scary. Mm. See, Jeffrey says that he killed his victims straight away while they're unconscious. So, but I don't, I don't know how, how much you're going to get into the crimes. mm. 
do you delve into what he did to each person? A little bit. So you know how he did the whole pouring stuff into the brain? He didn't do this with this guy, apparently. Again, we don't know how forthcoming Jeffrey is, how much he's trying to protect his own image. Yeah, well, that's the thing, because his last victim, the guy who escaped, right? Yeah. Uh, Tracy, I think his name is. I talk about him a little bit later. But Jeffrey said all of this stuff to him before he knocked him unconscious. He said things to him. He was like, Tracy knew what Jeffrey was going to do. So Jeffrey saying, oh, I drugged them and then I did all this creepy stuff. But yeah, were you freaking them out beforehand? Were yeah, you like that's sadistic. Is is scaring them to the, like completely and utterly terrifying them? That's sadistic. Yeah. So I don't know. She she got this weird phone call, which yeah. is scary and sad. Yeah. Dharma killed his next victim just two days later. So that that cooling off period is obviously shortening yeah. immensely. Huge. Nine years to, to to six months to actually talk about that. Yeah. Okay. It was two days later he had a chance meeting with David Thomas while at the shops. David was the father of a two-year-old girl and after he went missing, his grandma said that his daughter used to sit at the window saying, where's Dada? Expecting him to come home. David was described by family and friends as a fun-loving, joyous person. I always think with these, when we talk about someone who's been murdered, like what that person might have gone on to do. Yeah. Even if they were just a regular Joe who did nothing, like, you know, of, in quotes, importance, mm. what would they, like, what would their what presence his, on earth what have... What his daughter's life, like, yeah. what would her life have been like if she actually had her dad around? And then what would she have maybe yeah. done or not done? The or... ripple effect from the ripple something effect, like this. Yeah. When it's... So he killed 17 people. 17 people, yeah. The ripple effect of those... Like, the ripple effect of one person is fucking massive. Yeah, it's like it's like when they talk about suicide and they're like, it's not just the person who's taken their life, it's everyone around them. Exactly. And it's like, it's not just that person's life that you're snuffing out. Yeah. When you, when you listen, I decide to, like... Sounds like I'm preaching to them now again. Please don't murder. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, and no, it's just like um, heartbreaking. Yeah, it yeah. is. It's really sad. Yeah. This, as I said to you, this case is just so fucking sad. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, possibly emboldened by the fact that he was still getting away with this so mm-hmm. easily, even though he was killing somebody every couple of at this point, like sometimes days in between. Yeah. Even though he was in this apartment building with people around, still getting away with it, his murders became even more frequent. In 1991, he was killing someone every month or two. Towards the end, multiple people per month. At this time, he was living in a block of flats that shared common walls with neighbours and they were very suspicious of him. Some of them were. Some of his neighbours were not too sus on him, but his next-door neighbour was very suspicious of him. A woman named Glenda Cleveland. She made multiple calls to the police about what was happening at Dunn's house. Yeah, she is a badass, but it wasn't taken seriously. When Why they would they start now? She was she, like, oh, I'm getting chills. She has said a couple of times how much it's haunted her because she knew something was going on and she told them and they just didn't follow it up. And well, when she they, did everything she was supposed to. It's not like she could have gone in there, bust in there and like taken him on herself or exactly. anything like that. And she did confront him a couple of times about the smells and the noises, yeah. and even though she knew. Yeah. Um, when they finally did arrest him and it all came out, she yelled out in frustration to the cops as they were like taking him away. She said, I called you all a million times and you all did nothing. Fuckers. Oh. <laughs> I'm wondering Obviously, if the sound like, of this... I mean, I don't want to sound anti-cop. Obviously, they didn't know. No, these cops were shit. Well, there are some very shit cops I'm going to yeah. talk about in a second. Obviously, they didn't know and they were probably dealing with bigger fish than somebody calling the cops and saying they were hearing weird noises and could smell weird smells coming from their neighbor's place. I get that. But if they had taken the disappearances seriously, then they maybe would have looked into Conorak's disappearance more thoroughly. Or I'm sorry, I'm gonna I'm getting ahead of myself. There's there's another boy that's victimized. It's in the same family as oh. the other Laotian boy. If they'd looked at that more thoroughly, surely... You don't have to defend the cops. Surely it would have at least put him on their radar. If they knew that there were all these disappearances and they were like, oh, and also this guy has previously had 
It's like the first place you look, isn't it? Yeah. Then yeah. at least he would have been on their radar. And so yeah. when she called and said, somebody's screaming next door or I'm and they getting go, what, this what address smell. is that? Oh, the address of young Mr. Dharma, who we already arrested for this. Let's go check it out. Let's just go and like... See Let's what dot our eyes and cross yeah, our T's. Exactly, exactly. I have such a hard time with that saying. Usually I say cross our eyes and dot our T's. <laughs> but then it sounds like you've just been quirky. Yeah, I know, but I yeah. It is actually a mistake. Yeah, it's a problem. So Dharma's always maintained that he didn't kill the people he killed in that community because of hate. I actually believe him. I don't think he hated black people. I think he was attracted to black men. Yeah. Um, I think he was killing people he was attracted to, like a lot of serial killers. However, I think it would be naive to say that racism and homophobia didn't help him evade arrest. The people in that community yeah. were just not taken seriously and were failed by law enforcement multiple times. I mean, he's he said he's he's intelligent. He's got to know that if he targets minorities uh, at that point in time, even now, he's more likely to evade to arrest. To get away with it, yeah. 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 17-year-old Curtis Strotter was Dharma's next victim. After he spotted him waiting for a bus and offered him money to take some photos of him, Curtis had had a rocky start after leaving high school when he realised he was gay, but he was planning on going back to school and getting his high school equivalency. Unfortunately, he never got the chance to get things back on track. After this, as if it were possible, things got darker. This is when the the zombie stuff started. Mm. So a well-known part of the Dharma murders was him trying to create these zombies who would basically just be perfect submissive sex partners. It was 1991 when this started and he first attempted it with his next victim, 19-year-old Errol Lindsay. Errol was very close with his siblings and his sister described him as a goofball. At the time of his death, he had an unborn child who is 31 now and a mother herself. So were it not for Jeffrey, he'd be a granddad. Again, yeah. like you were saying, this like ripple effect. Yeah. There's a grandkid now who doesn't have a granddad because of yeah. Jeffrey Dahmer. Who never met their granddad. Never met their granddad, yeah. yeah. And, I mean, the mum, she never met her dad. Yeah, it, the siblings and the friends of these people. Yeah. and so Dharma, yeah, I, th- I think you probably know this part of the story. Dharma drilled a hole into his head before pouring, uh, muri- I think it was muriatic acid, into the hole. Weirdly, Errol actually woke up momentarily. He yeah. shot up, even though he was full of, like, the drugs and stuff. Yeah. He shot up mor- momentarily and woke up, but yeah. he died very shortly after. Is this the guy that said, my head hurts? Yes. Yeah. I think that might have been Errol who said my head hurts. Yeah. Yeah. Which is really sad. Yeah. Yeah. Only a month later, Dharma met Anthony Hughes at a gay nightclub. Anthony was deaf after developing complications from pneumonia as an infant. Wow. I didn't know that was a, that was a possibility. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was the sixties, I think. So anything's possible. (laughs) Yeah. Who knows? It was like the wild west. Yeah. So in the, the show, this one that's controversial, they devote a whole episode to this guy and they make it seem like there was this actual romantic connection between Dharma and Hughes. Right. I haven't been able to find anything to prove that was the case. However, um, they interviewed a guy that knew him in the Dharma Tapes documentary series, yeah. which is the non-fictional. Who one. knew the victim? or he knew this, this guy, Anthony yeah. Hughes. Yeah. And Anthony had said to him that he had hooked up with Jeffrey before. So I think there's the possibility that they had actually had consensual sex before. Sure. I mean, you can hook up with someone multiple times and not have a relationship with them. Take it from me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But in the, in the show, in the fictional show, they make it seem like Jeffrey was like wooing this, that they were falling in love sort of thing. Okay. I don't okay. think that was actually the case. Yeah. It may be taken a bit of a license there. Yeah. Yeah. Anthony was hoping to find love though and was very close to his family. So that episode was particularly sad in the show. Only a few days later, keeping in mind Anthony's body was apparently left on the floor in Dharma's apartment for about three days. Well, Dharma came across 14-year-old Conorak Synthe Somphone. I'm so sorry. I actually looked up how to pronounce it. I've just Synthe Somphone. Anyway, it's the brother of the boy who was molested and he didn't get jail time for. Yeah. I'm going to talk about this one a bit more because it's particularly shitty police work. If it was handled differently, the lives of five people would have been saved. Yeah. Um, You might have heard this one because I think this is quite a famous facet of this case, um, what happened with Conorak. So, yeah, in a tragic coincidence, Conorak was the brother of Somsak, who Dharma had molested in 1989. 
Dharma once again tried to make his weird idea of a perfect submissive sex partner by drilling a hole into Conorak's head and pouring acid in. Against the odds, Conorak didn't die when Jeffrey did this, but he was still unconscious from being drugged. So while he was out of it, Jeffrey realised he was out of booze and decided to go and buy more, leaving Conorak alone in the flat. Amazingly, Conorak woke up and was able to make it outside. So he was able to unlock the door and walk outside. He was naked, bleeding, and not making a lot of sense. Apparently he was speaking in um, Laotian. But Jeffrey's neighbours who came to his aid said that he was clearly distressed. And I read that one of the neighbours who came to his aid was Glenda's daughter. Okay. So they also said he was clearly a child. Yeah. They said it was very obvious that he was a kid. When Dharma returned and police arrived, he was able to convince them that Conorak was 19, his boyfriend, and that the reason he was so out of it was because he was drunk. The police didn't do any kinds of checks on either Conorak or Jeffrey and helped to carry Conorak back to Dharma's apartment. Dharma killed him less than 20 minutes later after the police carried him back into the apartment, this 14-year-old boy. Milwaukee police say that homophobia didn't play a role in this case, but it absolutely (laughs) did in this instance because there is recording of these two officers talking afterwards and saying all kinds of homophobic shit. It seems like they were like ill gay guys just drop them off yeah like, don't don't touch him like yeah so yeah. one of the cops was saying not one of these guys but one of the cops at large was saying that the milwaukee police had been briefed on being respectful to the gay community and so he was saying i think this was their sort of clunky way of trying to be respectful but like i i think it was more of a let's just get this over with and leave yeah like, instead of trying to be respectful i think they were more just like Ugh, i don't want to deal with this Conorak's family were victimized not once but twice by Dharma. Yeah. Conorak had lived in America since he was three. He sounded like a sweet, normal kind of kid. He liked hanging out with his friends and playing soccer. In the series, they make it seem like Conorak knew who Jeffrey was, but Jeffrey says he was said he was surprised when he found out they were brothers. So who knows what the truth is? A month later, Dharma met 20-year-old Matt Turner after the Chicago Pride Parade. He somehow convinced Matt to travel back to Milwaukee with him and once they got to Dharma's apartment, he met the same fate as the other men. Matt had had a bit of a rocky start to life but was described as smart and articulate. The next month, Dharma met another man in Chicago, Jeremiah Weinberger, and asked him to come back and spend the weekend with him in Milwaukee. Apparently their first night together was consensual but after he said he wanted to leave, Jeffrey killed him. Jeremiah was a Puerto Rican man working as a sales rep in Chicago. Apparently he was always immaculately presented and he took a lot of pride in his appearance. Ten days later, it start in nineteen ninety one. It's like he Ramp just yeah, yeah, he is just killing someone like every few days. Yeah, ten well, days. Well, he's, he's been reinforced. Yeah, exactly. He he's knows. like, well, I'm getting away with this. Yeah, um, he did. He was spiraling though because he lost his job. He was just like drunk all the time. Yeah. Waste um, of space. Yeah. Ten days later, Dharma killed Oliver Lacey, a twenty three year old father, to a little boy called Emmanuel. He was engaged at the time of his murder. And again, I want to highlight that in so many of these cases, Dharma's taken away not only someone's son and brother, but someone's dad. So many of these men were fathers. Mm-hmm. Just three days later, Dharma killed again. Uh, this was his final victim, his final murder victim, I should say. Yeah. Joseph Braderhoft. Joseph was a father of three who loved sports and fishing. Joseph was going to a job interview and happened to be on the same bus as Dharma. Joseph and Dharma meeting was a horrible, wrong place, wrong time scenario, made even more sad by the fact that this was so close to the time he was caught. It was three days before he was caught. Yeah. So this guy just scraped in. Yeah. What we're also seeing here, as I touched on before, is he's gone from one or two a year to every month to a couple of times a month to every few days. Yeah. So as I say, it was three days after Joseph's murder that Dharma met Tracy Edwards, the man who escaped and was responsible for finally getting him arrested. Chillingly, the part in the Dharma series where Dharma tells him, okay, you haven't seen the series, so I'm going to tell you what happens here. Spoiler alert, I don't know if you're going to watch it. It happens in the first episode. Dharma tells him. so Tells tells Tracy. Tells Tracy. So he was being weird, um, and then they lie down and watch a movie together, The Exorcist 3. Dharma was obsessed with it. For some reason, the third one, I don't know why. They're lying down. Dharma's got a knife and he's like threatening him, being like, lie down. And then he, while he's lying on his chest, he goes, I'm going to eat your heart. 
And so he says that, like, I drug these people. Is that factual? Or that's is... factual. Yeah. So that's that's what I've written here, that that happens in the series, but that happened in real life. He right. did. He said that to Tracy. Okay. So Chill. Yeah. So, like, him saying, I didn't want these people to suffer. Okay, well, you didn't mind Tracy suffering. You didn't yeah. mind scaring the shit out of him. So how do we know that you didn't do that to these to your other victims? Yeah. He's full of shit. He's full of shit. Yeah. I... After Dharma was arrested, he told the police everything. I mean, he was he was very open. More open than a lot of serial killers are. Everything that he wanted to tell them, I'm sure. Have you ever watched the Dharma Tapes series? No. That's the documentary one. Yeah. That's where it's... Um... Just him talking, right? It's like well, recordings it's him, of him? It's him talking, but it, they mix it in with like yeah, newscasts. They, they, they give a narrative. Yeah. Um, yeah but... Um... I also I don't like watching um, documentaries where it's just the where it focuses on the killer. Yeah, well, I will say this: it's like the Bundy his, tapes. His manner, it does almost make you sympathetic to him because yeah. he comes across like he's repulsed by what he did. He seems genuinely sorry. I it's, don't think I don't think he was. Don't yeah. get me wrong. But well, he, that's that's their whole game. Their whole game is to manipulate people. Yeah, I mean, he comes across as like meek and yeah. polite and respectful. Yeah, and and they want you to believe that that Jeffrey Dahmer could never do this. It's his alter ego. This this horrible person that he can't control. Like you know, like they want you to believe that. See, he doesn't do that. He no, I know that he's not saying that he has an alter ego or like a split person. You know, like a mm. you know. I'm saying that they want you to almost separate them from the crime that's, that they've committed. Yeah, yeah. My take is that he was a coward. I think yeah. that he was a fucking coward. And that's why he drugged the guys yeah. before he killed them. Because yeah. he knew, well, he didn't want to have to overpower them in that way. Yeah. So he just drugged them. And then he could do what he wanted. Mm. I guess what I wanted to talk about at the end was, you know, that I... So hang on, this guy escapes and then alerts police and... He escaped. He ran out and flagged down a cop car. Yeah. And initially he, so they make it seem different in the series. They make Mm. it seem like he's panicked and he's like, come up to this guy's house. He tried to kill me. In reality, so he had one cuff on. Dharma managed to get one cuff on him. Yeah. So he flags down the cop car and basically he's just wanting them to get this cuff off. He's like, this fucking crazy dude put a cuff on me. The police did follow up. They were like, who did this? We're going to check this out. So they went up to Dharma's apartment with Tracy there. Oh, that's right. Because they didn't have the key. They didn't have the key for it. So they were oh, like, okay, we're going to We'll come with you to yeah. unlock it. Yeah. And when they went in, so they actually were like, oh, we're just going to have a bit of a look here. One of the things I didn't mention was that he dismembered the bodies and he used to take Polaroids of the dismemberment process and he would pose the bodies in all different positions while he was doing it. And the cops found these photos. And so they promptly arrested him. That'll do him. it. And he also had, once they had arrested him and started just taking a little peek around, he had heads in the fridge. He yeah. had like body parts all around, skulls everywhere. A house of true horrors. It really was. Yeah. There was just shit everywhere. Yeah. So yeah, he, he that's how, how it all went how down. How it concluded. Okay. Yeah. yeah. He was probably drunk. Like he was so fucking reckless at this point yeah. that it's insane that... He managed to keep going for this long. But yeah, that's basically how that ended. How his story ends. So Milwaukee didn't have the death penalty. He didn't get the death penalty. He was sentenced to 900 and something years. He served, I think, a year or so. um, And he was in, like, protected. But uh, he... It sounds like he was a bit of a dick in jail. Like, he used to joke about what he'd done. Mm. There was this... They were saying stuff like he used to... um, he would make his mashed potato into the shape of a person and then be like, look, I'm accountable. <laughs> so like, yeah, super sorry. You're super mm, yeah, you're repulsed really by what you did. Remorseful, yeah. But they said he was like that in high school. He used to like, it was like a dork, but he was like the class clown as well. Real comedian. Yeah. So I think part of that is him just trying to be like... Likeable. Trying like. to be likeable, yeah. But he... He hated being separated. He wanted to be in general population. Uh-huh. And they they put him in general population and it did not take long for one of the other inmates to beat him to death. Yep. So that's how his story ended. Well, it's very sad whatever. for his family though. I will say that his dad, I felt really sad for his dad because his dad always was like, 
obviously horrified but what he did about what his son had done but was always like i still love him he's my son mm. like what mm. what do you want me to say i i know that it's horrible but i love him and i'll always love him yeah um and his dad obviously felt an immense amount of guilt felt like it was his fault yeah so it's just sad from like start to finish it's yeah. just really really sad um and yeah i think that the justice system hopefully learned some things from it but probably not yeah i think there are um multiple stories from that era that are um i think it was a particularly fucked up time for like the police and the courts and the justice system in in general yeah yes but what i wanted to talk about um just to round this out is the controversy that's come from this series and again people talking about true crime content and saying that you're like people who are watching true crime stuff or listening to true crime stuff are getting off on other people's tragedy and like it's they're finding other people's tragedy entertaining and as i said i was going to reflect on it i have reflected on it and i've thought about it a lot that is definitely not why i consume true crime content i think that there are some people who do genuinely just find it entertaining like they're just getting entertained by the tragedy of it and they're separating it from the real people i think what what i've sort of come to where i stand on this is that it's more nuanced than that there are some people who are fucked up about this stuff and when the dharma series dropped there were people who were posting on like tiktok and stuff being like haha it didn't even bother me i just watched it while i was eating snacks just binge the whole thing like da 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 flippant flippant about it yeah which of course yeah that's fucked up that they're real people it was a sad series that should have i mean i'm not saying that the the gory stuff didn't really bother me because gory stuff doesn't bother me that much but i was like that is fucking awful that a real person went through that like it should bother you yeah. If it doesn't bother you, you do need to like take a really long, hard look at yourself and think about the fact that it is real people. But I think what I would have sort of I, I've realized what I the reason that I consume it is just pure fascination, and it's the same way that I'm interested in diseases and I'm interested in natural disasters and all of this stuff. It's not the fact, it's not the tragedy. It's the like I find it so awful. I mean, you know, in psychology, there's that coping mechanism called rationalization where you just, if something, if there's something that's so fucking horrible to you, you have to know everything about it. Yeah. And it's, it's that it's me wanting to know, like, how could something this horrible happen? How did he become like that? What was the implications? What happened afterwards? It's more just like, it's so horrible that I I need to know everything about it. I, I really think that the reason that a lot of people consume true crime is for that reason too. Yeah. And specifically a lot of women because um, more often than not, women are the victims of violent crime. Yeah. And so if you consume as much as, of much, as much of it as you can, then you are in your own head, you're um, arming yourself with knowledge, knowledge yeah. and, and ways to um, avoid that happening to yourself because statistically you are more likely to end up in that situation. Yeah. And I do think it's also a little bit human nature to it's like a car crash you can't. It's morbid curiosity, and I think for myself another reason that I am particularly interested in violent offenders is because I'm fascinated by their psychology. Yeah, well, that's the other thing. We both are into psychology. So from a psychological point of view, you've got these people who are completely out of deviant from normal functioning yeah you want to know how they understand that way yeah understand what is happening and also i mean i i've studied criminology as well and that's all about kind of like figuring out patterns to avoid something happening in the future so if you're consuming a lot of this this genre which i do which we do (laughs) um you're able to identify patterns yeah that i mean have already been identified by countless criminologists before but Mm. you're able to identify these patterns as you see them and then again you're protecting yourself against it definitely does in in certain ones feel like self-protection i think that is a big reason why women in particular consume true crime and it's not like as i say it's not like i'm sitting there watching or listening to this stuff just being like (laughs) yeah like yeah i'm always horrified by it yeah 
It's yeah. just, I don't know. That's, I'm going to continue to reflect on it as I go. I'm not just like, yep, I've thought about it and it's fine. But it's also, it's also not for us to decide if what we're doing is fine. Yeah. That's because not... I think, I think it's sort of like the people who are the victim's families. Yes. Been like, we don't like people listening to true crime content because, you know, our family member went through it and our family's the one that's been through it. But as I say, I think it, it is just morbid curiosity and I think it's kind of a normal thing. Yeah. In some cases. I, I'll continue to reflect. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's pretty much all I had. Good job on a difficult topic and um, I'm glad that you covered it and I didn't because sounds like you wrestled with it for at least three weeks. I did. I yeah. was thinking about it all the time. Yeah. Like I, apart from when I was at work, I was yeah. like, constantly trying to think about the moral stuff that came with it mm. and then i was also i was watching um the the documentary show so i'd watched the show previously then i was watching the documentary show and it was it's such a sad story anyway so yeah. like i was reading so much sad stuff and then i was also thinking about all of these people that are like anyone who watches that show is fucked and i was like oh god it was it was a lot <laughs> Meanwhile, I was like, do, 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 <laughs> researching my next episode, which you'll see is going to bring us up. Okay. What, yeah. what is the next episode? Next week, I'm covering Skinwalker Ranch. I think I asked this before. Will you be talking about Skinwalkers? Really, really briefly. <laughs> nice. All right, guys, rate, review, and subscribe. And still follow us on social. Oh, <laughs> socials. Just have to get that in there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks. Bye. Thanks, everyone.